condition, my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in. Him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. I tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so uh, you know, that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you sixty thousand dollars. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning. Well, we'll Stacks and Jacks. Have tomorrow, Greg Peppers on the board. SP Futures up four, Nasdaq Futures down nine. Is the market doesn't seem to want to go down at all. But six days in a row or seven now, so it's pretty strong. We'll see if that hangs in there. Uh, this day in history, Jan Kennedy elected president, 1960. I actually remember that. Um, Lou, uh, Lou, you were probably too young. Just saying. Lou here? Where, 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 where'd we lose Lou? Here I am. There you Sorry. are. Sorry. Do you remember uh, this day in I was, 1960? I was, lost in the, I was lost in the fog of uh, recalling uh, where I was in 1960 when the uh, election happened, and I believe... I was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, freezing my tail off, which, you know, in Winnipeg, Manitoba in November, yeah, <laughs> winter, winter in 1960 anyway, winter had started. I, I have a vague recollection of my parents talking about this, and, uh, you know, they, they were discussing, you know, what Kennedy meant, and, you know, I, I my father was not a was not a Democrat guy, and I remember him telling something to my mother about, well, this is like electing the head of a crime family to uh, to the White House because he was not enamored with the uh, with the old man's politics and the old man's business dealings, and uh, it looked a little bit too much to him anyway, like uh, like Jack had been groomed. For this position and and you know a bunch of he he didn't ref, reference it this way but you know this guy was the, the selection of the power elite and uh you know it, it wasn't it wasn't really a democratic election which as it turned out it wasn't um that that may well have been one of the more famous stolen elections in american history and uh because of of what happened in chicago uh, that tilted Illinois toward. Uh, if, toward if, they, if they'd have lost Illinois, would he would he have lost? Was it that close? Yeah, yeah. I think that if the electoral votes had swung, Illinois electoral votes had swung to uh, to Nixon. I think he would have. I think he would have lost. And I think that I mean, if I remember correctly, that was the way the count went. But yeah, it it that that election, as it turns out, was was almost certainly stolen. Um, well, the, I mean, I, I would. I, I've never. 
obviously a lot of people say that, and there's probably some, you know, some some to a lot of truth to it. I just have never actually looked at the numbers, and was it just a one state? Was it that close? And how how how, how close was the vote total in Illinois? I mean, I never actually looked at the stuff. Uh, my my understanding is, you know, because the, the vote count the vote count was not uh, was not instantaneous, although it was faster than it is now. Um, but no, I mean, my my understanding is that daily daily swung the, you know, suddenly they manufactured however many thousands of votes they needed to manufacture in Chicago, and and that swung the state. That was that that carried Kennedy over, and so what? Um, so you, so Illinois would have been like twenty some electoral votes, and he only won by like fifteen or something. I, I I don't remember the exact totals. I just remember that that he needed he needed Illinois to win, and uh, and that you know it, it, I don't think there's any any dispute that that Daley that Daley well, he was a Kennedy fan. Let's put it that way. Well, he was a Democrat, yeah, well, and, yeah. and so and so you know they they needed that they wanted that that party in power, um, you know. And as it turned out, you know Kennedy Kennedy at least from a moral perspective was was worse than Bill Clinton, and and did a lot of the same stuff, but at a much higher level. Yeah, but it was. A big, I got it for you guys. If you're, uh, yeah, if you're, so here's this is Wikipedia in the national popular vote. Kennedy beat Nixon by less than two tenths of one percentage point, point one seven percent, the closest popular vote margin of the twentieth century. Uh, so close was the popular vote that a shift of eighteen thousand uh, eight hundred and fifty-eight votes in Illinois and Missouri, both won by Kennedy by less than one percent, would have left both Kennedy and Nixon short of the two hundred and sixty-nine electoral votes required to win, thus forcing a contingent election in the House. Did somebody else? Kennedy won a 303 to 219 electoral college victory. Was there, was there somebody else that won a state somewhere? Um, I I think some didn't vote. No, but I mean a state. Eight from Mississippi, six from Alabama, ah. one from Oklahoma, all refused to vote. Okay. Or cast their vote for Harry F. Byrd of Virginia. Oh, oh, the Ku Klux Klan guy. That yeah, makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes well makes some was, sense somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Um, the only thing I, w- I will I will say Lou about uh, Kennedy and the family is uh, when you have when you're an Irish family and you have a, that many kids, the kids are not the father. They're pretty damn independent. There's a pretty big difference between RFK's views of the world and Joe Kennedy Senior. I think. Well, I, I mean you. You may be you may be correct, and as it worked out that way, maybe you're right. But but I'm just telling you what my father. Oh, without a doubt, he, he, he was. You know, the old man. Yeah. The old man was the old man was a criminal, and and you know made his made his money in uh, during prohibition, and then and then proceeded to to use it to try to influence political you know, politics and get his get his kid into the White he House. He was an, he was an original insider trader. He knew yeah. prohibition was going to be changed because he was he, what was he the secretary of. Uh, he was ambassador in England or something. He was, uh, yeah, he was real tight. So he knew he knew the uh, law was going to be changed, and he had how many ships loaded with scotch hanging off the uh, east coast when when the, when the clock ticked twelve or whatever in the day, and landed them all. And I think I up until not very long ago, I think the family it can't still be that way. Had got a, got a few cents for every bottle of scotch it was imported or something. 
But he was, I, he I was a. I don't know the details on. Yeah, on he was that. a. I use the term opportunist using insider I trading. Say, I will say this. Um, you would be hard pressed to find a family in in national public life that was visited with more tragedy than that family once once he decided he was going to start once Joe the old man decided he was going to start tinkering in politics I mean the loss the loss of the golden son in uh, in England uh, you know that story who, yeah who was killed who was killed testing a, a testing drone the first un, unmanned yeah uh, he was killed testing yeah. a drone yeah uh, the thing blew up before before they could parachute it out or something, right? Or something? Before before he could before he could bail out, um, the, you know his loss, the the you know tragedy that was visited on Kennedy's uh, his son John's family, with the loss of the baby and the assassination. Uh, yeah, uh, John, uh, the, the horrific conduct that John engaged in with with uh, after he was married. Uh, you know the loss of Robert Kennedy. The the craziness with Ted Kennedy and Chapman. I Quiddick. actually think that the loss of Robert Kennedy changed history more than Jack. Um, well, it certainly appeared that he was the shoe-in for, for the president presidential election in 68. He was more way more of a rebel. You know, the weird part of all this, the uh, I, I know your your dad, well, in our neighborhood, was, we, were, we were pretty was much... Certainly, a, Robert was certainly more ruthless than John. He also uh, was not happy with a lot of the insider stuff that was gone. He was not interested in the mob's influence in Washington, which was bizarre since his dad was tight, tight with him. I'm saying, I don't think, I don't think Robert the old man got brother, to His brother, his brother was sleeping with a, a mob mall, M-O-L-L. And, and uh, you know, I mean... He was, he, he, got, he got put in the PT boat because he was sleeping with somebody from Europe they thought was a spy. <laughs> But you know the weird part of it is, there's there's a I sh- God I should know the name because I'm going to say something. There is a lady, um, when he his back was so so messed up, it's so messed up. He, he allegedly heard it in uh, playing football at Harvard, and then long before PT 109 or anything like that. And then he had some kind of disease. Then he had Addison's disease. And then he had, but he could not. He couldn't even run for Senate uh, because his back was so screwed up. Yet somehow, the guy managed to have sex five times a day. I mean, it, it's a tribute to something. I, I, don't, I don't know, not to morals, but it's a tribute to something. But there was one lady... Uh, I, okay, so so now I'm going to run down another rabbit hole. He he was one of those guys that had... And, and you know who another one is? Apparently, Hunter Biden. Oh, okay. Who is reasonably good-looking, um, char- tremendously charismatic, and the people and I know that know him, people I know that know him, know he was total, total, said he was a total ass. Well, he was on drugs uh, but, all the time and everything else. But that that doesn't that doesn't matter. I guess yeah. <laughs> you know that doesn't oh, yeah. matter. I mean, think of think of the the, the, the bad boys. I mean, yeah. no no right thinking. How could what am I? Well, don't don't get me started. This someone is, sounds a little jealous. Is, <laughs> no, no, no! It's it's just mystifying to me. It is not. It's a function of jealousy. No, no. I'm I'm with Tom on this. This is impressive. Yeah. That, but but it's a mystery to me that Hunter Biden. Okay, so in within the Biden family, you know, you've got this this guy. He's he's sleazy. 
he's dishonest, he's a drug user, he's failed at almost everything the family has, has tried to insert him into. And and it well known to everybody. And yet within I don't know, what, three months, four months of her husband dying, uh the the his sister in law is in bed with Hunter. Yeah. She she knows she know you know, it it's it's a testament to some kind of genetic coding that well, makes there, if you want to be I, I, I don't want guys like this just absolutely irresistible. Talking to, about uh, going across going you're off the segment of the female population. We'll talk about going off the plank. Uh is these in college of course we never knew anybody was a a, a real abuser. Uh we knew some guys that weren't the nicest. Maybe some maybe they were good looking or whatever. And the joke was, what does every every abusive guy have in common? They never have a Saturday night without a date. So, so we're going now. Going to run down another rabbit hole, and this is this. But is anyway, let me, let me let me finish my part about the the uh, some lady who was renowned at the time for having uh, knowing a lot about anatomy, not the anatomy we're talking about, uh, spinal anatomy and so forth. And he gets directed to her. And she, over a period I, of a I, year or I, two, I remember this story. Yeah, she, over a period of a year or two, manages to fix him up through some, a lot of exercises, braces, all kinds of stuff, to where he could run for senator, not not just mm-hmm. president. This is this is before the thought of him ever being president. He, he couldn't even run for senator. He couldn't walk. And and I I said to my I have a chiropractor and I, and I had the lady's name and I said, uh, do you know this name? And he goes, What do you mean? Do I know it? It's all everybody studies. You see that thing on the wall? All the nerves and all the, the all the spinal and what does what she did all that. That's all her. I mean, how does somebody get to be that kind of genius when nobody else even knows what the hell they're talking about back in like the whatever years these were? And this is in the forties and fifties. Yeah. But however, I mean, there are an awful lot of people know uh, owe an awful lot of non-pain to this lady, and um, she was an absolute. I, I can't believe it. I, don't I, I remember. I remember this story. Yeah. All right, my rabbit hole. Go ahead. So, so Dustin Hoffman or uh, Robert Redford, when the grad, the story of the Graduate comes out, uh, and they're casting for it, uh, Redford shows up and he wants to play the lead, the the guy. I can't remember the name of the, the Benjamin character. Braddock. Benjamin Braddock. So he wants to play Benjamin Braddock, and the director. I mean, I mean, he reads for it. He is apparently great. His reading was great, and the director said, "There's no way I'm going to cast you for this part." And, and Redford goes, what are you talking about? And he says, I need, this guy's an anti-hero. I, 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 you're, not, you're not it. And, and Redford goes, I don't get it. And the guy goes, Bob, has, have you ever been turned down on a request for a date? <laughs> and Redford looks at him and goes, what do you, I don't, I don't, what do you mean? And he said, I can't put you into a movie like this where I've got some, you know, some guy who, who is, sort of stumbling through life I can't put somebody like you into that into that role because nobody will believe that you have trouble getting girls or that right. you're somehow conflicted, conflicted about about sex and and uh, your interactions with women nobody's going to believe that because because nobody's going to believe that you ever have any problems with that did he so want he a he wanted to cast, he cast Dustin Hoffman well did he want to both uh, he, the, the guy and the, and the girl lead. You wanted them to be. Ethan Ross is the girl. Yeah, lead. without without he wanted them to not to be totally unknown. He went around the country looking for people, right? 
Yeah, well, at the time, Redford, I don't think Redford had done Barefoot in the Park yet with Jane Fonda, although maybe he had. This was but, 1962. But Redford, wanted the, Redford wanted the role. And, and you know, the guy, or the director, just goes, no, you know, I need a Hunter Biden. Yeah. Or I don't need a Hunter Biden or a John Kennedy type. I need... I, I think need, the the scene, there were so many great scenes in there, but there, there was one big outtake. I wonder if you noticed it, where the one time that the thing screwed up and they let it go through, but I thought the scene when they, they gave him the... Uh, scuba equipment <laughs> he's, he's trudging to the pool he's just standing on the bottom of the pool all the people up top are wanting to talk to him but he just stood down there breathing yes. in the, <laughs> but the uh, there was evidently Catherine Ross and uh, was Anne Bancroft yes Bancroft uh, was the older woman well she wasn't that much older right so they had to make her out matter of fact Anne Bancroft beautiful lady they, had, they made her out to be you know older and the one scene that they screwed up when uh, when he showed up to pick her up in the rain, and Aunt Bancroft comes running out and says, "You're never going to see my daughter again." Well, the rain started hitting her old old lady makeup. And if you look real close, you realize she's nowhere near as old as yeah. as she <laughs> was supposed to be. Yet they, they they let it go. They didn't do the scene again, evidently. But uh, I mean, she was. She, I don't think she was five years older than Catherine Ross, maybe. Uh, no, I thought she was. I thought she. But was not older. like the twenty-five who was supposed to be in the movie. Yeah. But anyway, Ross, Ross was Ross was my all-time favorite female actor when I was Actress, all the way through yeah. into college. I, I thought she was brilliant and beautiful and smart and everything else. And she she disappeared. Yeah. She she I can't what wherever her last role was maybe Stepford Wives. Maybe but, yeah, she 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 disappeared. Hey, yeah. Um, uh, Question for you uh, regarding, uh, uh, well, it's actually sort of, the, sort of uh, the same time as today. One of the big differences, though, I think, between Kennedy and Nixon and today, there wasn't that much difference in the politics. Where would you, where would you put those two guys today? Nowhere? Smack dab in the middle and nobody well, wanted either one of them? I mean, Nixon, Nixon was a big government before it was popular a big government republican so so the two of them i mean one of the one of the things that lost nixon the election in 1960 was kennedy telling nixon he was soft on defense um you know the missile gap and i i I, i've always considered myself you know I, i call myself now a scoop jackson democrat because that's a that's a obscure enough reference that nobody knows what I'm talking about. But but I, I would consider myself a Kennedy Democrat in terms of his positions on He was right with he was right there policy. with with Paul Simon, Paul Douglas, those yep, kinds of guys. Yep, yep. He was he would Adley Stevenson. Today, Adley Stevenson was a brilliant statesman. Right. Both the father today, and the son. Today I would suspect he would be um, he would be considered a a fairly conservative well, they the press would refer to him as a white colonizer. Yeah, oh, yeah that's right, a white colonizer, a right wing, yeah. a, a right wing, uh, you know, threat to democracy, which is pretty much how Mr. Biden has characterized all all Republicans. But he would definitely, he would definitely be in a in a. Oh yeah, they would they would not get along at all. No, but you know, no. they were when they both were elected into into Congress. They uh, there was some some shindig in Ohio. Where both parties sent like their their young Turk out to do this like debate, talk about 
omniscient. Uh, this this debate when they first got into and they both went went out to uh, Ohio, and evidently, in order to get back to Washington, they shared a sleeper compartment. They were actually really good friends, Nixon and Kennedy. Which you know is behind the scenes now. Now you, that could never happen, right? They they shared the sheep sleeper compartment back to Washington. Was only one. I said, okay, we'll bunk together. They did, hmm. and uh, they actually were were fairly good friends. Plus, they had the one line during the uh, the campaign. Kennedy Kennedy had a great wit. The uh, remember the, the there was this big thing, Greg. Was before your time. There were some. There were one of the reasons why there's barcodes and stuff on uh, on well railroad cars and food was there was a big, somehow all the cranberries in Washington State had had some disease to them where they were actually poisonous. But the ones from Wisconsin were not. So Kennedy and, and Nixon were both doing campaign tours through Wisconsin. And, and you know, Nixon had a big, big chug of cranberry juice. So Kennedy did the same thing. And then somebody said, aren't you afraid? He goes, well, no. Plus, if I... If it turns out that this kills me, I have the pleasure of taking the vice president with me, or <laughs> something along those lines. Because they both did the same thing. And Kenny figures, okay, if I'm told, so is he. <laughs> but now, uh, having having, you know, denigrated Mr. Kennedy sufficiently, and and you know, we lose track of the fact that both of those guys, both of them, were were combat veterans yeah. of of World War II. And and Kennedy, if you if you read the account, I mean. He he was from a moral perspective he was a disaster, um, but if you read the account of what he did to save his his boat crew and and to get help for them uh, after that after he somehow incompetently steered the vessel in front of a Japanese destroyer, uh, I, it, it's it's remarkable. I'll tell you what, there, I don't know how desperate I would have to be, but I would have to be pretty pretty desperate to swim what was it, two miles across an ocean strait between two islands at night. <laughs> well, those guys were pretty serious swimmers. I, I don't yeah. I don't care. You, you're not you're not out you're not out swimming, Moby Dick. He could be <laughs> your your bait. Oh without a doubt. Stretch, in that stretch of water. But I mean that's that's what those dudes night. Roosevelt used to swim from what? Martha's Vineyard to the other place out in yeah, by the Cape. Well that that's yeah, that, I know. I mean, I could, in my in at that time of my life, I could have done a two miles from too. That's not the point. The point is, the the point is, getting into the ocean at night, you yeah. know, and and doing. A, I mean, I all you're thinking, all I'd be thinking is, yeah, I'd be thinking of that scene in Jaws where that oh, shark yeah. is just circling below the. Oh the, yeah. Well, yeah. When he when the thing got rammed, he he, the one guy was on his back when he swam to the island. Yeah. But, I mean, that was, when you say got rammed, that was probably, for a destroyer, that's how you beat up on PT boats. You rammed them. You didn't, why, why try and shoot them? They were too fast. They rammed know, them. You could, you could, they could hit them. I know, but they, but they tried, ramming them was, was clearly, you know, part of the game. Well, I, I mean, ramming is, if you're in a boat, if you're in a boat that can go twice as fast as a, as a destroyer at flat out top speed, you never, you never get yourself into a position where that boat's going to be able to well, run you over. Hey, uh, Lou, we're going to have, in a, after the break, we're going to have uh, young Katie uh, Matter. I'd love to have you on with this. Well, I want you to be on. You're on. Because uh, Katie is, uh, well, I'll just go through her biography real quick. But she was on before. She's doing a lot of medical research. 
or has since she graduated college, actually before she graduated, she was doing it. And uh, I'm fascinated by who all the players might be in this whole thing because and a person who uh, put me up to this mentally, by the way, is you. Because when we were talking the one time about the the EpiPen and so forth, and you said, well, wait a minute, this thing was invented by the Army. How the hell did this lady get this patent on the thing that's been around forever? And uh, Katie has been has worked now at Northwestern in Minnesota, and now she's at Vanderbilt doing, you know, serious research. And she, uh, she and her team actually identified the cause of a kind of a rogue disease when she was at Minnesota uh, being a gene problem. Uh, but they, and she gave presentations at Harvard, I believe, in Stanford. And, you know, it's kind of a rock star for at her age in that area. And in addition to being a pl- very pleasant lady. Um, and she, I was at Vanderbilt doing some stuff. And I, I'm just, as you know, Lou, my, my, my mind is so, I don't know why I get so curious about this stuff. I'm really dying to find out who all the players are. I mean, when you look at the money going into these hospitals, these research things, I mean, maybe she can help us out. I doubt if she knows all all the ins and outs, but I'm, I'm just fascinated by how it all works or doesn't work or whatever, and at the end of the day, who comes out with what and who gets credit for what. Anyway, so I'm going to kind of quiz her on that, hopefully not too badly. Uh, but Katie's terrific. Uh, SP Futures up 4, Nasdaq Futures down 11. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, and we're back to Dr. Jacks. I'm Tom Greg Pappas on the board. We have uh, Lou Michaels with us on Zoom, and we'll have Katie Mather with us in a second. SB Futures up 5, Nasdaq Futures down 10. Dow Futures up 47. Oh, uh, Home Depot's down 239. Uh, we've got 
Boeing up 67 cents. We got Disney up 340. Disney's earnings were last night. They didn't do as badly in ESPN as uh, people thought. So uh, even though they're losing money on their, their, what is it, the plus streaming or whatever, not as much as people thought. So they're actually doing somewhat better after having a couple of really bad earnings in a row. Over in Europe, we've got DAX up 71.5%, FTSE up 33.5%, CAC around up 58.8%. So everybody's bullish over in Europe. Over in Asia, we got the Nikkei up 479, 1.5%. They go up, down, up, down. Really over percent all week. They've been very volatile. Hang Seng down 57, 17,511. Um, well, better than the 16,900, but not as good as the 18,000 they were a few days ago. Shanghai up 91 cents, so call that flat. They've been pretty steady. We're real jumping all over the place over there. Yesterday, Dow was down 40, S&P up 4, NASDAQ up 10, so technically uh, kept the streak going. Uh, bonds up 4 basis points, uh, 4.55. The Bund up 4 basis points, 2.65. Japan unchanged at 0.84. We've got oil, oil 43 cents, but 75.76. And somewhere during Katie's segment here, I forgot to ask Lou, what the hell's going on with oil? Two wars going on, and oil goes straight down. Uh, Brent up 50 cents, 80.04. Natural gas down a penny, 308. Arbab up a penny, 214. We've got gold uh, another, down another five bucks, uh, 1952. Nobody likes gold either. Silver down a dime, 2262. Copper unchanged, 363. Uh, copper can't move anywhere, neither can oil. Kind of smell, smells like a worldwide recession. Let's hope that's not the case. Uh, Bitcoin up 1200 bucks, 36,865. And we have uh, the the hour is up a little bit. The pound at 106.9, and I'm sorry, the euro 106.9 and a pound at 122.6. Greg, what do you have for us? Traffic weather report. Sports. Good morning, everyone. 6.38 here in Chicago, 45 degrees, uh, 55 today, sunshine and breezy. In Phoenix, 52 degrees right now, 77 today with lots of sunshine. Traffic, inbound Kennedy is 21 minutes from Montrose. Uh, Edens from Lake Cook is 41 minutes. Ike from Wolf, 28 minutes. And the Ryan from 95th to the interchange is 22 minutes. Stevenson inbound, 294 to the Ryan, 26 minutes. Sports, we got Bulls lose by one at home. That was 116-115. And we have the Bears tonight at home, 715 against the Panthers. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. Two worst teams in football. Katie, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We're Thanks doing for good. Having me on. Oh, no problem. Hey, real quick, I I should have said this to Lou earlier, so give me two seconds. Uh Lou, you well know that when you when you do a podcast or a, on the air or whatever, what you say doesn't always come out the way you want to say it, right? <laughs> the bear off the bear uh, off I would say that's true ninety nine percent of the time in my case and a hundred percent of the time in your case. Yes, yes. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes here in the next twenty minutes. <laughs> well so the offensive coordinator of the Bears yesterday, I don't know if you're a Bear fan or not, but the uh he's talking about who's gonna play quarterback. And the offensive coordinator I, I think meant to say that we're preparing for both guys, but what he did say was no matter who plays quarterback, our offense is going to look the same. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's what he wanted to say at all because the offense has been horrible. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Katie, what what's up with you? You're we I gave you I gave somewhat of a bio uh, before, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you l- were able to listen in, but uh, you are now you currently at Vanderbilt, or are you back this way? Yes, I'm still currently working at Vanderbilt. I work in a lab there. It's called the um, lab of cognitive imaging and I work at the Center for Cognitive Medicine at Vanderbilt so yeah doing research there 
Now you're 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 good there at the end of this year, or are you uh, are you there for a long time, or a good time, or what? I'm there for about one to two years, kind of just as an interim before going to grad school, just to get more experience and everything that I need for that. Okay. But, yeah. What the little pipe in anywhere you want? You, my, I guess my. I'm, I'm actually I'm actually looking at uh, at Ms. Mather's uh, CV on the uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center website and. Uh, it, oh, I didn't even know it was on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's a it's a very it's a very nice picture too. Um, l- let me first of all congratulate you on graduating. Thank you. Last June, I with a, uh, a a double major in cognitive behavioral neuroscience and then a another major in psychology. So, I'm I'm curious. The, the uh, your undergraduate looks like your undergraduate work was in uh, spinocerebellar ataxia. So I know what a taxi is, uh, lack of ability to coordinate movement. How does, how does, yeah. talk to me about what you were doing as, a, as an undergrad with, with that kind of work. Yeah, so actually uh, that's impressive that you know that because I feel like most people have no idea what that is. But basically it's a neurodegenerative disease that's genetically very similar to Huntington's. Um, it's characterized by, yeah, trouble moving, you have slowed speech. So it's basically when the cerebellum that's in your brain it's in the back lower back um that becomes basically diseased and that's why the motor becomes worse over time so it degenerates and then it gets into your brainstem which eventually makes it hard for you to breathe swallow do basic things so that was when i was actually working at the university of minnesota um they have like a very very strong neuroscience program which is what brought me there and in short short story um what we did was made a genetically engineered mouse model that blocked the disease protein from going to the nucleus in the cell which like is the part that has the dna and then basically what we were hoping would happen for that is to find out what was causing the disease since that we still didn't know what was actually contributing to it so once we blocked it we figured out that that um decreased protein expression it made the mice live longer they had less ataxic symptoms and basically that was like huge because we didn't know what was causing it at first and that's this is a really rare disease but it's helpful because it can apply to huntington's disease since it's the same genetic uh, mutation so yeah katie sounds a little like sounds a little like als too doesn't it yeah yeah it's very similar um very similar symptoms all those neurodegenerative diseases i feel like they all end with um, memory dysfunction and then eventually motor dysfunction is what kills them if it gets once it gets to the lungs and breathing that's what it really goes downhill so yeah they're very similar and, um, and go ahead Lou. No, i was gonna say go ahead tom i was i was gonna follow up follow up on that before before we talk about about how you know how this research gets funded and and who you know who what what drives the train on this i mean this is a this is a rare a rare condition um, yeah, it's very rare, mm-hmm. right? So, so it obviously um, the funding for the research on this was, I assume, coming in with the understanding that you know, hey, if we if we can figure out, if, as is so often the case in medicine, if you can figure out what's happening at the margins with with a rare and and you know, uncommon kind of of issue, you frequently can unlock information about the overall process because we. You know, we, we have to we have to be able to filter out all the other craziness 
that goes on in, in cellular biology and, and in genetic issues. We have to filter out all the other craziness to be able to sort out what is actually happening. And in these rare conditions that attack a specific a specific area, you you by studying them you could you could get more insight into what's happening in sort of a, a general population area. So so with addition this this would this would apply to Huntington's. Does it apply to anything else? Um it so there's a classification of diseases that's called the CAG um, diseases for neuroscience. So it's in your genetic code, you have like a bunch of different repeats with different letters and everyone has a CAG repeat at one point, but these diseases are when you have like a way more CAG repeats than you're supposed to have. So yeah, it does directly apply to um, other CAG repeat diseases like Huntington's. Um, the mouse model we made, we basically duplicated the CAG repeat to a crazy high amount to kind of study the extremes of the disease. So yeah, that's exactly what you were saying. Um, it is a rare disease and studying it helped because it is applicable to other diseases since we found something, the whole point of it was we didn't know what was causing it and what would help it. So now we know that a possible treatment, since there's no treatments currently available now, would be to find a drug that targets that protein and restricts it from entering the nucleus. So now we at least know what we need to do, which that whole stuff will take a while to figure out, but it really unlocked a big part of the puzzle that we didn't know was going on. And is this is this something that is susceptible to to genetic therapy or do you are you actually going to be looking for a for a drug? Yeah, it, we don't know exactly at this point. I think a drug would be ideal, but yeah, genetic therapy is also a good idea since it is 100% a genetic disorder. So it's um, that's how it's passed down and that's how you get it. You don't just like catch it one day. Um, yeah, so that is why it's like so crucial to study this because if you're in a family with that gene, there is a very high chance that you will have it. Um, so if you have, say your parent has the gene for it, only one of them has it, there's a 50% chance you will have it, which is still incredibly high. And then say oh, so it's, have, it's it's a dominant it's a dominant yes. trait. Oh, yeah, wow. it's a do, it's a dominant trait. So the very low odds that you get two people to have kids that have that same trait, you are one hundred percent gonna have a child with it. Um, that's obviously really rare, but still, it just shows how it's very rare. But if you have a family with it, it's very prevalent. So, I'm gonna so that's why it's important to study. So so the danger of getting on this show with with two guys who are on the spectrum, uh, Katie, is that our our minds <laughs> go running off on odd directions. This is education. I just I just had a, a friend of mine who who passed away from a variation of Jacob Kreutzfeldt disease. Um, oh, I'm sorry about that. Does this have any? Yeah, it was. I mean, it and and I don't I can't I can't give you all the details, but it was one of these things where he was a pilot and he he noticed that he was having trouble remembering some of his emergency procedures checklists. Not a commercial pilot. He oh was wow! Aviation and his kid. His kid watched him doing a pre-flight check on their airplane, and and watched him like skip like three steps, and said, "Dad, what what are you what are you doing?" This is one of my one of my Air Force Academy classmates, and uh, and he was he was dead six weeks later. Oh um, my god! Yeah, it, it was it, it very fast. So that disease, I mean, I mean, that's a that's a loss of muscle control, uh, ongoing paralysis, or creeping paralysis kind of thing. This. Does this have any any similarity to that? And as I understand it, that's a protein-based 
issue as well but i don't i don't really understand the mechanics of it and i'm i may be completely off base but but is this something that would have application to that and to jacob kreisfeld uh tom in, in one variation is uh, known as mad cow mad cow disease. Oh, oh, okay i was also thinking while you were saying that is if it's the same disease that uh the Bersagian family had where he lost what how many of his grandkids era uh, uh to some... i don't know about i don't know about that but anyway let, let yeah. me go yeah, just keep going i'm i'll try and dig that one up hey, do we does this have any application to to any of the variations of that because i'm just thinking of trying yeah to... that's a good question i'm not entirely familiar with what directly causes that disease so i know it has to do with a defect in one chromosome but i'm not sure if it's the same okay like amino acid repeat but it has very similar symptoms like um, memory loss that's a big part of spinal cerebellar ataxia too so i know that would apply in that way and actually the research i'm currently doing now at vanderbilt is looking at a study that treats both depression and memory issues wow coming out of coming out of COVID, i bet you get a lot of takers for that we just so we just lose katie yeah, we did. Uh, the, the, it really surprised me to hear that oh. nicotine could actually help. <laughs> we we okay. repeat well, what you said because you blacked out for let's a second. Go back, let's go back to nicotine because because I'm sure we've got a lot of potential smokers sitting out there wondering how they, how they're going to get their yeah. older, especially older guys like me who are losing their losing their cognitive. By skills. the way, the, the Persegian thing is <laughs> Neiman Pick Type C, whatever the hell that is. That's where all his, his family all died from. Neiman Pick Type C. What is that? Oh, wait, forget about that. That just Go ahead, Katie. You were talking. Sure. We, you blanked out for a second, so all we heard was the uh, oh, nicotine. Yep. So repeat what you just yeah, said. So this, the study that I'm doing at Vanderbilt. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Now? Yep. The study I'm doing at Vanderbilt. We just lost her again. Yeah, you're blinking. Katie, you can hear us. You're, uh, either your Wi-Fi is bad or ours bad, but. <laughs> but. Um, it's definitely, you can see a difference in the patients so far that I've seen use it. People who have had like brain fog and memory problems and later life, they're so much sharper and the brain fog usually goes away. It's really, really cool to watch. And this is with nicotine? Yeah, so um, it's a low dose nicotine patch. So it's just the ones that are over the counter used to help to stop smoking and everything um yeah so nicotine you have nicotine receptors in your brain um so basically what the study is doing is targeting those nicotine receptors if you stimulate them that would increase memory performance and lower depressive symptoms which is what we're seeing oh the uh katie if, how does it sounds like i mean not just sounds like it's obviously a a huge organization and you you are what now are you a student or, or what are you no, I'm just, I graduated this past May, so okay. I'm doing, um, just, I'm a research coordinator. I'm not a student currently, but I will be going back to school in like a year or two. So do you work for the, the university or one of, what I'm trying to get my hands around here, and we have a hard time doing it in 10 minutes, but that means we have to have you back. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like these big research plays, but basically there's a lot of crap going on at Vanderbilt, I mean, all over the yeah, place, right? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, so, I mean, if... If if Lou, you know, let, let some of the feathers out of his wallet and re- wanted to write a million dollar check to somebody because he loves what you're doing down there, who the hell does he even write it to? Do you, you don't write it to Vanderbilt. Hope it lands where you want it. Uh, 
there the people send checks to different research areas and somebody keeps track of all the money and I mean who I guess my question is who pays you I mean uh, is it is it a is it a group that is, is involved in this research specifically or is it the general university fund and and I guess if you find a cure you and your gang who owns it uh, I mean it, yeah no that's a good question so we get so it all depends on who you're funded by so everything is all revolves around the grants so to be a researcher you must keep getting grants to do your research which is why you see so many researchers doing um like forging data and everything because there's so much pressure to get continuously get grants and if you're not producing research you won't get that so that's why a lot of people are kind of mad with how the funding works but yeah so you submit a grant um to the irb which is the institutional review board for research and they evaluate if you are worthy of the grant basically and, and the irb the irb is a local function at vanderbilt it's a so we have a vanderbilt irb so each university has like their own irb that they go to but it's all one it's one umbrella overall like the irb in general in the u.s is what people go to for getting research funding and we also have um, funding through the NIH so that's where all the money comes from so I was able to work there since through our grant we had enough money to pay another researcher so say if someone donates money it would be going to that fund per se so, so that's how, how, many, how that works how many individual funds would a place like Vanderbilt or Northwestern have like hundreds thousands oh yeah so many because there's so many research labs at Vanderbilt and each one each study has a grant so our lab has three active studies the other lab that works in our space has like 12 active studies so each one of those would need a grant to basically keep them afloat so when I worked at the University of Minnesota the researcher I worked for was so respected that he won this grant saying that anytime he applies for anything he will 100% get it which is like a miracle in research because most people are always fighting to stay afloat and keep your research funded so that's why you have to keep producing at a high level so they see that you're worthy of all the money that they give you which is kind of crazy so there's, um, a, there's a separate for lack of a better term income statement payroll everything for every one of these grants yeah yeah wow. so what you're doing is limited to the grant that you have so our grant i don't know what it is exactly but it had to be huge because we are going to have around 80 people in our study it's going to last about two years and each person gets the participants get paid around eight hundred dollars for participating and then they have to pay us they have to pay this is a vanderbilt get, or this is the one in minnesota this is a vanderbilt okay. um but it's the same thing for everyone it's the same concepts so like when i was at minnesota i would do an experiment and the materials i would use for one experiment would cost four thousand dollars which Minnesota's great because, well, so it's Vanderbilt, but those types of schools have so much funding where you can do way more compared to where I was at at Loyola. They didn't have as much funding since, I don't know if you're familiar, they're called like R1, R2, R3 schools. So R1, you have, like, those are research institutions, so you get way more money, better grants. And then if you're at an R2, it's like a more, it's a more of a balance between research and, like, teaching, so you get less money. Okay. So, so, how much, how much of the grants that, if you know, how much of your grant funding for this particular project that you're you're working on, 
how much of this is coming from NIH, how much is coming from private sources, uh, how much is coming from the university itself. Because, because people can endow a university, they can either give it money for a specific purpose or they can give it into the general fund and the university uses that as its endowment for, for funding some of this stuff. Uh, and NIH, don't, don't get me started on NIH, but uh, it, how much of this, if you know, how much of the, the funding on your study is coming from the university, how much is coming from like a private foundation and how much is coming from NIH? Yeah, I don't know exactly the breakdown of that, but from my knowledge, I think it's probably all from the NIH or the Vanderbilt IRB. Um, I don't know if anyone's donated to our study. That's kind of rare. Um, I mean, so many people donate for Alzheimer's research, but I don't know how that gets distributed. I would need to know more about that. But um, um, you, you see, so if you when you listen to this, this gives you a marker for what happened, partially what happened with COVID. When when Anthony Fauci stood up and barked that I don't want the lab a lab leak theory to make it into the to make it into the press or we need to have this discounted, he had no shortage of people who lined up behind him to to do that because because he was writing checks. Oh, that well, I get it. Yep, that basically funded their entire operation. Yeah, that's what. So Vanderbilt has a drug discovery center, which was actually part of. They were part of the effort to make the vaccine for COVID, and that's a huge concept to have like a drug discovery center at a academic research place because it research is not able to move that fast in academic research in general. But they kind of get to bypass that, so they were able to make things at such a faster rate and get so much more funding than, say, a clinical trial that has to go through so many different phases and that it has to go to. Um, big pharma. It's, it's just a lot less steps. Right. Well, that was that was the the whole point of Operation Warp Speed. Uh, yeah. The development of that vaccine is it is it we basically and, and I and I understand why you did this. I mean, we didn't we didn't have a good handle on initially on what this thing was what this thing was like. So so we're going to get a vaccine. We basically threw you know billions of dollars. At, mm-hmm. at the research operation, streamlined the testing re- requirements, streamlined the regulatory requirements, um, and and I, it, it made sense to do that. I mean, in in terms of a of a something that we thought was was very dangerous, it it distorts, as Tom will tell you, it distorts the market dramatically. Obviously, when something like that happens, but but so so the the grant process, the grant for you. It's, Tom, for for Tom, everything is economics. You can very easily see how the grant process oh, can yeah. distort the the results, and and especially yeah, if, if you end up with ideologues in a place like NIH, because they're they're. Do you have any idea how much money they're pumping out? Oh, it's millions and millions of dollars total for all of this research. Yeah, you need a ton of money, and for all the research that goes on, it's it is a lot. Okay, um, we're gonna have to. Yeah, sure, pretty quick, because I, I reserve the right to have you back, because, by the way, Lou isn't just somebody I got here randomly. Lou's like a real snake in the grass, because he knows a lot about all this stuff. He's litigated all those things. That's why I wanted him on, because he knows way more than me. So <laughs> he, he's not just grabbing these questions out of nowhere. But yeah, he seems <laughs> to know a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Lou, you can't hide very well, buddy. Um, the NIH has forty-eight billion dollars. It's way too early. It's way too early to be to be trying to flatter me and butter me up, man. Um, so. You see what here? What Greg just said? Uh, they have forty-eight billion dollars. 
That's yeah. a number. Forty-eight wow. billion dollar um, medical research budget. Uh, real quick, uh, Katie, if if you're working on something like this and you and your team, because I mean you would never take credit yourself. That's the way you are. If all of a sudden you decided to throw some nicotine in there and some vitamin C and a little bit of apple juice and a half of Viagra pill, and it turns out it starts uh, taking uh, Alzheimer's, not only going any further, but it starts retreating it in people. Who the hell owns it? What what drug company is going to say they did it? I mean, does the university get the patent? Do you? Does If Lou gave a million dollars for that specific research, does he get any of it? Who ends up with this bazillion-dollar uh, drug? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't think you personally get a ton of money from it. I think your lab as a whole just benefits because you get more funding for future research and you get more publicity and things like that. I don't think just one person is like getting paid a ton of money because they discovered something. That's why a lot of people who are in academic research leave and go to industry where they can make so much more money and um, actually get the value of what their work is. But then, but then do you sell it to a drug company? I mean, somehow or another, it gets gets on the market at a thousand dollars a pill. I mean, yeah, it depends. Because say our study is revolutionary, the nicotine hedges are already being made in general now. Like we already have someone making them, so it wouldn't be a new person making them. It's just now we've discovered a new use, so we wouldn't get anything from that since it's not a new product. Let, let me let me see if I can help a little bit because I know I know with respect to certain types of vaccines. So, for example, with warp speed, the government threw all this money at at Pfizer and AstraZeneca and uh, and Johnson and Johnson. There are actually said, like seven of them. And, I know and yeah. said fix it, and they fuddled it out. But but the terms, you know, these guys running these research programs for the for the vaccine did not just throw their hands up and say, oh, well, we're going to take all this money and, and rock and roll. The, the, that money came with strings attached from the government, and it came with strings attached from these research companies. So Pfizer and, and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, which were the big three, um, they they actually retained the the uh, intellectual property interests in, in follow-ons. The government, as I understand it, retained the, the intellectual property rights to the vaccines themselves, but these individual companies retained the right to market, and they were, they had a, a fixed kind of profit for some of this, and they also had a fixed a fixed sort of guaranteed sale on this. Um, we got to we got to dash here, guys, but give me fifteen seconds, Luke, because I remember we did a show on this. Katie probably would be interested, uh, and so Dan is in the room, so you have to hang out for a second, Dan. What they ended up doing, if you looked at the seven or eight people that got the big the big bucks for warp speed, if you took $400 million or whatever it was from the government to do your research, you had to promise them like 20 million doses at 10 or $12 a dose. If you did your own research and said, we don't need your stinking money, then you got 20 bucks a dose. So there was a difference in the price whether or not the government funded your research for you or whether you did it yourself, which actually I think was kind of fair. Seemed. I mean, it made some sense, don't you think? There were, there were also... There were also and again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole right now, but there were also regulatory protections right. that oh, yeah. were placed on each of these manufacturers so that they could not get sued if and when they started getting bad vaccine reactions. Okay, we're gonna have, uh, as usual, a revelation. I would love to have you back. I hope we didn't uh, uh, 
scare you away with all loose rabbit holes in mine. Um, no. <laughs> when are you coming back for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'll be home for Thanksgiving. I'll be flying home then, so that should be nice. Well, you know what? If if our paths cross, I would love love to see you and say hello. Um, yeah. I was out with your aunt last week. Uh, we were eating pizza. She was having a good time. Oh yeah, so. she was talking to me. I told her I'd give her a shout out. <laughs> oh, she's she's the best. She's the best. You take care of yourself and enjoy yourself down there. Don't work too hard. Lou, yeah, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. We'll, ha- we'll have you back, Lou. Uh, thank you very much, buddy. Lou's gone for a couple of weeks. He's going on a, a trip. Enjoy yourself. You deserved it when you come back. Maybe we'll get Katie back on again because I don't think we've scratched the surface here, have we? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more to oh, touch yeah. on. All right, take care, guys. That's <laughs> features up eight. Nazavir is up two fifty. We're never going down again. A very momentary break, and we'll be back with the engineers. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lord, we'll stocks and jocks. I'm talking about Greg on the board. SP Futures up eight, and the Futures up two. The NRI, sorry we stole a couple of minutes of your time. We're going to make it up for you next week. You're going to have to sub in for Lou and other people. we got guys who want on vacation, and I think we got to make up for you not being here a couple of weeks. What do you think? Sure, yeah. In fact, next week, uh, earlier would be better for me. I have a I have a conflict, but earlier would be better. But we can talk about that later. Maybe you can take over a loose spot, and we'll get John on for an hour or whatever, so we'll be fine. What did you, what'd you make of, uh, I don't know how much you heard of the uh, of uh, Katie's interview, but fascinating stuff, huh? It's interesting. I just heard the tail end of it, and, and it's not my area of expertise necessarily, but... but uh, yeah, definitely interesting in terms of you're talking about the, the pharmaceutical industry and and you know a lot of the um, you know what happened with vaccines and all that. It, I I am absolutely not an expert in that area, but it's there. You know, it's definitely um, you know it's a hot topic, no question about it. Well, I'm as usual. Whenever there's money flying around, it's not like, it's not like I want to take any, but but I think if you if you understand the money flying around, you understand a lot and. Uh, I'll tell you what, for somebody uh, just out of college stuff, Katie knows a hell of a lot about where the money's coming from and everything. I guess that's, it's evidently must be a hot topic because there's no money coming in, you don't work, it appears. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 and it's great. It's great that she has that insight. It's, I just can't believe that, who the hell's the guy that's keeping track of the 500 different grants all with a different payroll and different expenses? Boy, that's a job. Yeah. No, absolutely. I caught a little bit of the um, the debate last night, and the topic that 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 is still uh, one that irritates me is the you know is the the people who took you know a lot of money from COVID and 
they're they, they were talking about trying to clamp down on that and, and you know kind of and investigate that and that that to me has been very annoying because um, I I know people and um, you know have taken advantage who who you know spent lots of money and it seemed seemed like it was it was a popular thing to do here people who are buying um, boats and and you know just retiring you know at the age of 50 um, a lot of a lot of um, <clears throat> excess that was put into the system and and you know it's it's still what we're dealing with unfortunately in the you know that there is still a lot of money out there and it and what what is happening is you know it's keeping inflation high you know we still have inflation and although the you know the and you know the most recent talk that I've heard is that inflation's coming down. I, I want to know where that's happening because, you know, the, for the average consumer on a day-to-day basis, we're not seeing it. Well, I think what we've, what we've done, I mean, uh, not you, because you obviously know the difference, uh, what we've done is we have taken our population and somehow or another, with all the idiots talking about it, we've the term inflation and price level become synonymous, and they're not. They're not. Uh, they're absolutely they're absolutely not. Yeah, they're absolutely not. And uh, and I, I, I think, you know, a lot of what's happening, I mean, you see what, what happened to the bonds the last couple of weeks and the Fed decided to get dovish or not hawkish or whatever the hell they're doing. They're, they're, they're just letting it go now. And they're saying if we don't make the 2%, soon we'll get there one of these days. Well, the one of these days is starting to grow old. You look at the budget yes. deficit and stuff, it's starting to grow old all over the place. And yeah, and I think I think equity investors. I think part of the reason for the rally that we've seen in, in the last few weeks, um, it's not just the economic news that's come out. I, I think it's um, like you're saying. I think people have gotten tired with the with the the Fed and the rate increases, and 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 there's there's a, a message that's I don't think we're going to see any cuts. I mean, and people are still talking about cuts, which I don't know where they're getting getting that from. But I do see, you know, I do see continued. Um, higher rates, but not necessarily continued increases in rates. So I think that has been good news for the equity market. And like, you know, as we were just talking, there's still a lot of money out there. So the rally is coming from people who put money on the sidelines and people like us who put it into T-bills and other risk-free or very low-risk investments and are making 6%, you know, they suddenly see some opportunity. And this is going to continue to happen, I believe, that as valuations continue to look attractive in the equity market, people who've stepped on the sidelines are going to get back in. The only thing that concerns me is that the vast majority of, of um, you know the talking heads and people who are out there, um, strategists are saying that you know everything li- is lining up for a good you know end of the year in the equity market and a good start of next year. And what we you know we're kind of through earnings season at this point. But I think analysts have already taken their taken their estimates down. Um, looking forward, looking for fourth quarter being not as strong as say it was um, last year. And when you start doing that, when you start um, revising your estimates downward, um, they always look like winners when they end up that the numbers end up coming out and and they're better than expected. So. So there we're I would say that we're still in somewhat of a, a period of uncertainty. And I get concerned when the vast majority of people are saying this is the time to get back in. And as you mentioned earlier, what's happened is everything happened very quickly the last few weeks. So we had this major rally in, in the equity market. We had this major rally in the bond market because when interest rates come down, that's bonds, bond prices going up. 
And the third thing that happened that has always gotten less attention, but I think it's very significant, is the 20% decline in, in oil prices. So, and this is what took us into this downturn three and a half years ago. Um, and this is something that, that still is a hard, I think watching um, oil prices, it's very hard to, to come up with some um, understanding of what it all means. So to me, there, there's two sides of it. There's, you know, the, the talk is that global demand is down, so energy prices are coming down. Well, you could also think of it as seasonality because prices tend to go up in the spring before people take their vacations and, and, and drive and travel. But what I think is happening also is, I mean, what the other side of that effect of, of a slowdown in global demand is consumers are going to see the benefit at the gas pump. So they're going to see gas prices coming down and then they're going to say, okay, things are okay. So there is a balancing effect that happens with, with um, rapid changes like this in the oil uh, prices and in bonds and in equities. There, there are, um, you know, this, there, there's a, I would call it a balancing effect. And I guess the good news overall is that, that um, although everyone may not agree with what the Fed has done, there has been some, you know, there has been some stabilization um, inflation is still out there, but we've definitely seen some stabilization. So I, I would say that I, I still like six bills. And I think another area that is very attractive that we spoke about last week, um, but we've been adding um, over the last week is municipals, muni bonds. And, and here's here's what I would say. Especially uh, Dan, well, real quick, we have a couple of my clients um, uh, nudged some of the stuff from uh, – six months to a year in the last go around a couple of weeks ago i think it's too early for that or is that okay it was like they probably still did uh three quarters six months and then they did a quarter out a year what would you are you would you uh still, you think yeah, that, that's okay six, yeah you're getting paid more for for six months and and it's been a steady five and a half percent and then because of the way we manage t-bills on the in the actively managed strategy we're actually selling them as they they run up and we're going to get six percent net I don't think a year is going to be a pro you know a year is not a problem. You're locking in a good rate, um, and the thing that's great about T bills rather than CDs is, is that they're liquid, so you can sell them any time. It's not you don't get locked up for for that rate. But if you do want to lock in that rate for you know if you're saving money for a home or a second home or um, a new car or something, you you can you can do that. You can say okay between now and next year, I'm going to lock in you know five percent or five and a half percent. And then you'll know exactly what you're getting. Um, so it's, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with doing that, but I still think there's more value at, at six months. I do not think we're going to see any major um, a down tick. I don't see we're going to see, I don't think we're going to see a cut in rates. So I think six months is still a good, is still a good place to be. Dan, I've been, uh, I don't want to go through the whole thing here, but I'll send it to you. But I, I'm, I've been uh, writing this thing and I, I almost want to throw it in the fireplace when I'm done because it's, it, I, I, uh, I'm starting to get somewhat of a with all the different guests we have going from different directions on this I think what the Fed and the government has done in the last five years should have damn near all of them in the penitentiary I, I think that nowhere in the history of economics did they say we're going to we're going to take three trillion dollars we're going to print it and we're going to give it to some people literally give it to them 
and the rest of the people were going to degrade their savings by 40%. I've never seen that because that's what's happened to everybody it, here. It, it, it did happen, right? That, that was what was happening. You know, you know, and if you're in the market, if the, because those people poured that money in the market and to the point where, I, you know, as, as you know, I mean, I put money to work, you know, I won't say every day, but certainly every week or, you know, uh, for people. And, and I still, you know, I protect it. I'm, I'm, you know, I think the market's probably got a way to go here, scarily, but it does. Um, and I protect it. I, I'm buying stocks by being in the indexes. Because I think people certainly need to be diversified because the market's so narrow. You better be yes, diversified. Absolutely um, agree with you on that. Um, but I, I don't really feel like buying Microsoft here. I don't really feel like. And I was looking. I went through some of the stuff for. Uh, and again, this is not any kind of a buy or sell or anything. But I went through, you know, Adobe. You know, and they got a patent, and you know, and blah blah blah. They're up again today. Stocks up what 250 bucks this year. I got them. And my, you know, my danger sign is not PE. Although the PE is over 50. Which for established companies kind of a lot, uh, but I got I got them eleven times revenue. I mean, that's r- a real lot because I don't these I, I don't see how these companies how the hell is Adobe double the revenue? They're four hundred fifty eight. They're eighteen billion dollars in revenue. How how do they get the thirty six unless we just inflate the bleep out of the place? There's no way. How does that place double? It, it's a good point, it, it, and, and I don't, I don't think it, it does. I, there's, you know, there's a very important part of the the um, process of investment management, and and I, I tell a lot of the analysts who who've worked for me over the years that there's a fundamental research which we do on every company, and we talk to the the, the managers, and then there's the valuation that we do, which is what you you know going to your point. But the third part of it is a very important part, and that's the trading aspect. And that's what you were talking about earlier with the flow of funds and where where um, money is coming going to. And it, that part, you really, to be a good investment manager, you really have to have a good handle on that. You can't ignore the trading aspect. How does this trade? So if you're looking at some of the, they're calling them what, the Magnificent Seven now? I'm almost going to add Adobe in there and make it eight. And it could be yeah. another another one or two out there so maybe at some point it becomes a magnificent 10 but there is a tendency like a herd mentality and as investors we've been you know we're trained and we're taught on that you don't follow the herd but the problem is that people this fear of missing out has become so prevalent in our market that every people every rational very instinct short term and if there's a if there's a new um hot idea like ai artificial intelligence then then that's what people are chasing. And yes, there's a huge upside in AI. There's a lot of opportunity, but that doesn't necessarily, like investing in any company that participates in AI, you gotta do your homework on the company. You gotta look at where the valuation is, which you were just talking about. And then you also gotta look at how it's trading. So if you wanna trade momentum, that's great. That's not our thing. Well, but you're, 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 you're trading get in and, yeah, and trade momentum. It's, you know, you can make money on that. It's just trying to understand investor sentiment. I think and, you can make more money on it. Every, I'm going to say, Dan, that well, I, wish, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Every investment instinct that you and I picked up in our first 30 years in the business in terms of how can stuff can get too high and the market's somewhat rational and has, has absolutely gone the way of the dodo bird with, with everything being run by by money pouring into the market to a few people by the Fed, the stuff absolutely, absolutely, and, and absolutely, and I and I actually was yesterday just thinking of the word irrational rather than yeah. rational, 
and and it is irrational and it is it's it isn't evil at all it's not um it's not based on fundamentals it's based on on um a lot of other factors and it's very hard to decipher it's hard to, to but, but maybe do you think there's a chance i mean joel on kind of comes out on tuesday and joel's been around a long time joel's bright guy he's convinced that these these companies are without they're not going to be deterred by anybody they're going to own the world there's going to be 10 companies and yeah, it's not the way. That's certainly not the way we want it, right? No, but I mean, he—he said, "I mean, who's stopping Microsoft if they get an idea from somebody else, they buy it?" I mean, right. I mean, who's who's going to stop? I mean, maybe there's a reason why Tesla is doing way better than GM or Ford. Because for how many years did those guys get how many billion dollars from, from for you and I buying a pickup truck at Ford? That was insanity to give that guy yeah. their our money and their money. I yet, yet it happened. We, we, we made Tesla. What I was just going to say is it, it's money. It's it's it, who ha, who has the money, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best run business or the best. Um, you got to have technology, or, or you know, and, and I think EVs have played themselves. That whole market has played itself out. It's, it's uh, you know, they're the, still they're the still getting. That, how much that, are they still getting? How much how much is Tesla still getting a, a, a quarter from uh, carbon credits? But think about the hype that that market had, the EV EV um, industry had, you know, like a couple of years ago, and wow. how it was written. But then the, if you look at younger people who are buying, and you look at the purchase I just made of a of a hybrid, uh, to- Toyota Rav Four, I see a ton of them in the parking lot now. When I'm at the grocery store, I, I was kind of laughing that I, I traded in the Mercedes for this car, but people have gone more with hybrid, or they they're continuing to buy cars. On the East Coast, at least, we're not seeing huge. Um, you know, it's not like the West Coast where the where the uh, gas prices are high. But there's there's still a demand for gas vehicles, and there will be. And what's really interesting is seeing the understanding the fact that younger people have figured that out as well. So that that hype that was there, I think, that drove the market up, like the hype that I think is going on with AI, doesn't mean that it's not long term investment. Or in the last in the last five years, we've had. Yeah. We had we had China for two you gotta, years. If you you got to look at where where are you going to make that investment. You can't just blindly right. say, "Okay, this is where it goes." And you're absolutely right. It's who has the money. It's the Musks and the, and it's the people who who have the money that are uh, that are kind of out there. And then it is a kind of a uh, snowball effect, right? As these companies well, get one larger. thing in common: every everybody who's got the money has got the money from government, right? Which is which is scary. Because the rest it is of the people, and I think it's a good point. The 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 bloat, if you will, in some of these companies, and the and the power, if you will, that they have, um, that's kind of it, it has sort of taken away the you know the American, the basic American way, right, of of of, of competition and keeping you know that's also what helps price stability too, right? Is when you have others that come in that can offer better service or better technology or you know a better run company. That's where the opportunity comes in, and that's what keeps price stability. Um, so I, I agree with you that that the trend of the bigger getting, you know, the big getting even bigger, and the money going it all going to the same place is not healthy for our economy. What the, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I I, I tried to uh, for some reason this thing wouldn't load up yesterday. This is the the, the big the big sheet on oil going back a gazillion years, and uh, and I've had this uh, kind of debate with a couple of guys on the show. That are a little more conservative than you, Dan, and about oil and how and how uh, you know Biden 
yeah, you know, I'm no, I'm no fan. Okay, but the and, and if the guy were to say something on a stump speech, you'd swear the guy hates oil, right? Uh, and and the people around him, and obviously the, the goofballs in, in in California hate oil, except for the fact that they're tearing down their power plants too, <laughs> which is yeah, which I don't I don't quite get the logic there, but I guess there is some someplace. Um, and you see what the the Saudis and the Rus the uh, Ruskies have been basically denutted here in the last year or two. Every time they cut production, well, really for about 30 seconds, it goes right back down again. Right? I mean, but yet, all you have to do, I mean, and one, and not all you have to do, but one of the things you might want to do is if you look at the U.S. oil production in January of 2017, when Trump loves oil, loves all this crap, comes into office, basically we're, we're pumping out 9 million barrels, looks like uh, a month. Or something, or a quarter. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, it's nine. I guess nine million a day. So we're, we're piling out a little over. So by the time Trump leaves office in, tw- in t- January of 2021, we're up to ten nine. So he's up 1.7 million barrels a day. It looks like. Okay. And now, because you know, it was, it was going down for a while because the prices were down the last. And now, since Biden's been in office, we've gone from uh, the the ten nine. To twelve nine. So in the three years he's been in office, we're basically on the same pace of increase, maybe even a little more than Trump when Trump was in office. So I'm I'm thinking that one of the reasons why that the oil prices are not going up. And oh by the way, we just opened up a little more of a thing to Venezuela. We're going to get some more out of them, right? I think one of the reasons why Saudi and Russia are not near as powerful as they think they are is because in the last eight years, we're doing two million more barrels a day. And by the way, we're going to get a little bit more from Venezuela, and maybe Canada's done the same thing. That's a lot. I mean, we're, we're in a way stronger situation with oil than we were eight years ago in terms of production. Yet, you know, everybody, everybody will, will rant and rave about Biden's killed the oil industry. What are we talking about? <laughs> it's up as much under his tutelage, or whatever you want to call it. I, I think the, the industry is so much bigger than a president, it's scary. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and there's, um, you know, and energy as a whole has been a good investment the last few years, right? Yeah. So despite the volatility um, that we've seen in the market, energy has held up. I mean, energy is is a necessity. You know, it's not a, it's not an optional, it's not an option. So, so I, I, and I agree with you that I think we're, we're on the right track there. That's, that's, that's one area that, that is good. I I don't, um, I don't necessarily like the pol- you know, the the cartel and the politics involved, oh, right. but, but that's always been there. Right? Yeah, but those that's, guys, that's I mean, those are we're not we're not talking about. Uh, I mean, one of the a lot of stuff I remember from my class with Milton Friedman was, of course, he was this free market economist kind of guy, and he said it, it it's incredibly difficult. Some of the stuff he said was, was so you know, I mean, to this former generations is going to be true. Some of the stuff wasn't wasn't, but it's the hardest thing in the world. Is to maintain a monopoly or a cartel, right? Because everybody wants to cheat. The, the, right. Whatever OPEC ever said, we're going to produce thirty million barrels a day. I challenge you to say, if there was one day there where they weren't over thirty billion, thirty million, that somebody wasn't cheating. The, yeah. No. The, the only the only way that you can enforce a monopoly is get government involved, which we do here all the time. I mean, I mean is. Commonwealth that has been a monopoly for twenty for hundred and some years, right? Because government gave it to them, and we, we seem like we're giving it to more and more people, aren't we, Dan? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think other countries are, are much, you know, have done that in a much more manner, right? So there's, um, you know, it's. I think, relatively speaking, we're we're not there, but it's. Well, I mean, but, uh, I, I I would say that who, what are the chances of somebody ever competing with Microsoft? It's in a lot of those areas. How how could you? Yeah, no, I agree. It's it it becomes really challenging and unless you have a niche business to compete against one little part of their business. It, you're never you're never going to have the financial resources to be able to expand that um, when you go yeah when you're going up against these monsters. So and they're going to get every yeah, government I, contract. I see that I see that being a big concern for our economy that that the bloat, if you will, the you know the big getting bigger and across the board and and it's in all industries really. It's not. There's, there's a few industries that are still fairly fragmented, but most of them are, you know, there are going to be dominant players that are getting, you know, the big getting bigger. So, I mean, look at, you know, the same thing with financial services. Yeah. Well, yeah. As well, banks. And, Do you think uh, oil is anywhere near a buy here or the XLE, something like that? I, I, I'm thinking maybe waiting a little bit, but it's probably not that far away. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Anytime something sells off 20%, that's a, that's a necessity, right? I, I think there's um, there's some opportunity. I would say that you know you step into it as it trades down. You know, we, every time we see a sell-off, like today, I think there's a little more stability. But I, I wouldn't. It would not be a bad investment today. But I wouldn't go all in just yet. I would, you know, I would go in and, and start taking you know a position and, and adding to that position as as as, the, as uh, prices uh, sell off. Well, uh, so you're saying stick stick with the six month, maybe sneak out a couple of months if you got a bunch of it. Let's stick with the six for now. If you're doing the treasuries, yeah, that's where I would say if you want to do T bills and you do get that again. Remember, you get the state tax, the break on your, you know, it's exempt from state taxes. So if you're in a high tax state, it makes a lot of sense. I do want to do one more plug before yeah, I go please, on. Yeah, please, please, because next week we have you on before Thursday. But go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah that, yeah. that would be good. But I do want to do a, yeah. a quick plug on munis. Definitely take a, a serious look at municipal bonds. They look very attractive right now. And this is the, the first time in the last few weeks we've had been adding to our position in munis and you know i've been doing munis since for almost 40 years now they, they they're coming back and the after you can get a double a or a single a muni bond for close to six percent um and the after tax return on that's going to be about eight and a half stay short and look for for that double exemption with your state income tax so look for some Illinois bonds that are single or double A right now, you know, yeah, out, a, no further than two years. And, and if you can get five and a half or six percent, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> who's, who's good. A, I mean, that obviously makes huge sense. Who's going to be who's going to be the seller of that with two years left to go? I mean, aren't those things all scooped up by insurance companies and stuff to start with? I mean, who, who, yeah, who, who, are you, who are you buying it from that's going to sell it with two years to go? Yeah. Well, we buy in the secondary market, so so there is a you know you can trade, and the larger issue size will. But that is the one thing that you're being paid for is is the you have less liquidity than certainly a lot less liquidity than you do in the treasury market, but even less liquidity do, than you do in owning corporate bonds. So the corporate bond market has more liquidity, but you know you're getting you know the you're, you're getting almost the same yield, maybe just a little bit more. You're only getting maybe a hundred or. 150 basis points over the comparable treasury with corporates and we're talking about double B rated or single B rated corporates yeah. that are trading that tight so why not buy the municipal it is more of a buy and hold strategy though I it, would agree it, every it time we a, every yes. time we had a, a client we've had a, you know we don't do a lot of muni bonds like Dan does but we've had a lot of people that have obviously moved into PTI and brought them with and every 
man, oh man, we had some. We probably had ten of these over the years. These tiffs and something. I'm trying to sell them, Dan. God bless. They're like forty bid at ninety. I mean, there's a dead had been a trade since the day the thing came out. Yeah, you have, you have. That's what where you have to say that this portion of the portfolio we're going to lock in some some good tax exempt exempt income. You, you you can't look at it as as a trading opportunity like you could with corporates or stocks or 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 you know other you know commodities or other other um, financial instruments. It's it's really a a long you know it's a buy and hold. But stay short, keep a high coupon. Look for like a five percent coupon. Don't don't try to buy things at a big discount because you don't get the as much of a tax advantage there um so stay uh stay short and high coupons and you're not going to have interest rate risk and if it's a double a rated company the default risk is virtually zero uh so hey just to be just default. to be clear if you, if you buy a illinois bond at 100 and you just get your interest that's tax deductible if you buy it at 95 and they and it gets called at 100 the capital gain is taxable in the state i think it is isn't it it is yeah is it's it's it it is so that's why staying with they call it cushion bonds staying with the higher the higher coupons and I would not say the same is true for corporates it definitely isn't the it's the opposite is true with corporates but this is this is uh you know we can talk about this more okay. next week this right, is a good opportunity you have a nice weekend uh SP futures yeah. up six Nasdaq futures down eight we're we gonna keep going up every single day or are we having a turnaround one of these days well, we already lost them we'll be right back Mr John Flanagan. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Jocks. 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 Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, and we're back to Jacks. I'm Tom O. Greg Pappas on the board. S&P Futures up six. We were just up like 12, and the Nasdaq Futures were up, and now we're down six. So we're kind of flapping around the flat line here, so nothing much of any consequence. Dow up 65. Uh, Disney's up 356. They had earnings and they were better than people thought. Uh, ESPN actually is not falling off a cliff as bad as we keep saying it is. Uh, Disney Plus is uh, losing money, but not as much as everybody thought. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, well, around the rest of the world, we were bullish a while ago, but we'll see if we still are. Uh, DAX up 89.6%. FTSE up 43.6%. CAC around up 61.9%. So we're bullish over in Europe. Asia, Nikkei has flipped back up 479. One and a half percent. They've been amazingly volatile, more than they were usually are the last few weeks. Hang Seng up down 57.3, 17.5, so right between the 18,000 and 17,000. It's flying back and forth. And uh, Shanghai up 91 cents. Let's call that one flat. Yesterday, we were up again, but not very much. That was actually down 40. S&P up 4. NASDAQ up 10. It was looking, really, it was looking a little tired. 
That doesn't mean we're going the other way. Just looked a little tired yesterday. Uh, Bonds up four basis points, point four point five five. Bund up four basis points, two point six five. Japan on change, point eight four. Uh, we've got oil, and this is this is the mystery, boy. Oh, it's actually up ninety two cents today, which is one point two percent, but still seventy six twenty five. Brent up ninety cents, eighty forty seven. Natural gas up four cents, three fifteen. Arbob up two cents, two fourteen. Gold uh, down five forty, nineteen fifty two. Again, not looking very hot, just kind of hanging right here in the mid-1900s. Silver down 14 cents, 22.58. I think it traded 23.45 on Monday morning or something, but it gets whacked right back down. Copper unchanged 364. We got Bitcoin with a pretty good rally here. Up 1,200 bucks, 36,880. The U.S. dollar up just a little bit with the, with the euro at 106.9 and the, uh, the uh, British pound at 122, just, just a hair, 0.1%. Uh, Greg, what do you have for us? Trevi Weather Sports. Good morning, everyone. The Bears, the offense will look is the same no matter who plays forward. Quarterback, lousy. 7.36 here in Chicago, 45 degrees, 55 today with sunshine and breezy. Phoenix, 52 right now, 77 today with lots of sunshine. Inbound Kennedy has now gotten worse. Uh, Montrose to interchange, 50 minutes. Edens from Lake Cook, 101 minutes. Ike from Wolf is 43 minutes. Ryan from 95th to the interchange, 32 minutes. And the inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 44 minutes. Uh, NBA, Bulls lose at home by one to the Suns. That was 116-115. And uh, tonight, NFL Panthers at Bears. 7-15, Chicago is favored by three and a half. So we got Chief. Are you going to uh, slither out and get yourself your orange jersey? They weren't orange jerseys helmets tonight. No, no. I'm going to be cheering for the Panthers because... I got some fantasy players going. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Good. We have Mr. Flanagan. You do, Tom. Good morning. Um, so, the immortal John Madden. His quote was uh, when he talked about home field advantage, and John Madden said, "Venue never won a football game." Um, <laughs> now, does does a jersey color win a football game, Greg? Orange. Yeah, they're orange tonight. Hmm. Yeah, the Irish went with all That's white last Saturday. Uh, for the first time ever, and they got their ass kicked. So I'm not so sure jersey color makes a difference, just saying. It does make a difference for the refs and the penalties. <clears throat> Remember when a uh, coach told us about how yeah. he supposedly started the, the gloves trend to match the jerseys? The other team, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> coach was a character, is a character. Yeah, he said he did that in, what, the early 70s? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had all his guys from uh, was Illinois wearing red gloves that went to play Wisconsin, John. So he couldn't tell if they were holding <laughs> You know, there's always got to be somebody who's a... Did you uh, happen to catch into the interview with uh, young Katie? I did, indeed. Great to hear her back again, Tom. Yeah. Uh, there, I, uh, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, people we know, uh, they have, uh, you know, some of these daughters they have, not only are done great in school, they've done great athletically. Katie was a volleyball player. She actually went for a volleyball ride to Loyola. Has had some shoulder problems. Um, pretty impressive people. Pretty impressive. Uh, you know, you, you sit there and go, God, I don't know if they had girls like this when I was young. I suppose they did. But uh, um, well, it wasn't wasn't the athletics. Girls couldn't do as much. What a waste, right, Jan? I mean, I don't know why. Yeah. You know, I know my my mom used to say I would like to play sports too. You know, and we, there wasn't anything like that when she was in school, right? Um, no, my, my mom used to talk about you know how she loved basketball and. High school. She never played after that, of course. But um, 
you know, I, I think there always you know, was an appetite in a certain strata of the population that um, schools, of course, you know, pushed it as for, you know, for part of their fitness campaigns and collegiality and everything else. Um, but professional sports were, you know, not part of that, and you know that took a long time to develop. So well, I don't, I don't you know, care that much about professional. I'm talking about young people getting together and playing and having it somewhat oh, organized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were no girls' little league softball. When my nephews, right, team sports. I mean, you know, golfers, and you know, um, and there was you know, the tennis players and so on. This was you know, one place where women, I think, always pretty much had some visibility yeah. on the world stage. Um, and track, you know, the, the things that didn't involve, you know, team sports, pretty much. That's that's a late phenomenon, really. When I when I first uh, girls first started playing the t-ball, and my my nephew's in t-ball, right? So we're going to the game, and one of the guys used to work with us, uh, really good softball player, good baseball player, played on Maris team, and uh, really loves baseball. And we're sitting there sideline, you know, in our lawn chair. <laughs> it's a long time ago. It was my nephew's, you know, forty now, and uh. So he goes, hey, watch this girl at first base. And there's a girl playing first base. And he goes, check out the scatter arm infield and watch her. She knew just how instinctively, and we're talking, what's, what's T-ball, Greg, nine, eight? Yeah. <laughs> she knew instinctively, if you, if you ever see somebody who really knows how to play first base, they, they, they reach for the ball, and whichever side is, they, they use either foot depending on which is the best that gives them the stretch. And you either have that instinct or you don't. And he goes, "I don't." Yeah, he goes, <laughs> "Look at her." People do. He goes, "Name five major league first basemen that his footwork better than her." And uh, I, I couldn't. And you know what? Talking about a small world, I think she was. Remember the movie The Untouchables? Yep. I think she was either the. I think she was the daughter of uh, Kevin Costner. That was just on television. Like for last, yeah. I tuned on in the middle of it, so I didn't get to see much of it. Yeah, I think she was the daughter that when they, when a the guy, the the mob, uh, the mob guy found the wife in the street with the daughter. I think she was yeah. she was one of the two kids in the in the in the uh, uh, buggy. Either either the one went down the steps at the at the uh, train station. But I think she was the one that was Kevin Costner's daughter, and she oh. was she was oh. the first baseman. <laughs> okay, then Chicago used to be a real big town for. Uh, for uh, kids, um, you know, doing commercials and all that stuff, like child actors, basically. I don't know if they, I don't, oh, yeah. they, I don't know if they do that so much anymore, but they used to. Well, when you, we were talking to Lou earlier about JFK's, um, you know, therapist, physician, whatever, and I, I couldn't like figure out who that was, so I started digging around. And it, I think it's Janet Travell was her name, yeah, or yeah. Travell, um, who ended up being, you know, his physician. While he was president, so she was she was physician to the president. Yeah, LBJ reappointed her, so she was LBJ's physician um, until 1965 when she left the White House. Um, you know, I first yeah, read that she, story. I said to my chiropractor, "You ever heard of this lady with Janet Travell?" And he goes, "What are you talking about? She, she's the queen of everything. You see that that thing on the wall? That picture? That's her <laughs> with all the different you know nerves coming out of this and that and the other thing. Pretty scary. Yeah, quite, a, quite a story. I mean." Um, and you know, I, I remember hearing about the fact that JFK had a woman physician, and this was the first time the White House had ever employed somebody you know, in that capacity who was a woman. Um, and I don't know if there's been one since. Well, this is after been, after I don't know how many um, back surgeries that only made him worse. Right, right. I mean, the guy couldn't even walk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they didn't think he could be a consultant. Yeah, they, they thought he would have to be in a wheelchair when he first got in the Senate. 
He was at well, and, and the status of you know the, the kind of back surgeries that people did, and, and my brother even can speak to this too because he had a you know laminectomy on his back when he was in college, and he's had pain ever since. You know, you can manage it, but it, the, the JFK had had a series of surgeries that had just made everything impossible for him. Yeah. So I mean, they, they, what they needed to do was to try to figure out now that we've done all this damage, what what can we leave him with? You know, what can we, can we can he walk ever again? Um, well, he was capable. He was quite capable of doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how you can whatever. I mean, I'm not. I'm not yeah, certainly into the morals that he or lack thereof. But uh, I mean, there's probably an academic study yeah. somewhere Tom, that measures that ability. So it's it's like it's like saying uh, you know somebody's got one leg and he and, he, and he's running a mile a day. But how, how the hell do you do that? I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm just saying. But uh, yeah. And Marilyn Monroe, God, the list was huge. The, uh, anyway, the Marilyn Monroe is supposed growing to all the time too. It doesn't show any signs of, of being a finite group, I guess. So, uh, just uh, whatever. Um, Jan, we've got we've had this massive run in the market. We've had everybody thinks the Fed has backed off, so everything can just keep sneaking up here. Um, they've stopped dragging money out, pretty much dragging money. The little bit of they were dragging out, I think that sort of stopped. Uh, so we're not making any attempt at the price level. We're just letting people stew with what they got. Uh, and we're, for whatever reason, still spending a real lot of dough. Where did you, uh, what you tell me after the show yesterday, Greg? It was, uh, Greg has been taping, taping, timing a new U.S. debt clock. 31 seconds. 31. Oh. And that was, what, eight weeks ago? It was 43? Yeah. So we blow a million dollars every 31 seconds now, Chad. That's a number. Yeah. How did how did how did we come out of last year? And again, the last thing I want is you know people listen to the show. I hope they get you know educated on stuff they don't hear from other places. Uh, but I, I I really can't understand how everybody says how there's no way that we can have. Let me kick the thing up here. Unless because of the stock market being down at the end of last year that that caused something about this, but. I don't see any way. I'm just going to dig up the. Uh, um, are you going to the bear game tonight, Chad? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. What? You going to the bear game tonight in your orange jersey? Oh God, no! <laughs> uh, Jeez, no. <laughs> so, 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 Greg, we got a couple of guys uh, that we know that we hang around with that have the orange jerseys. I'm just saying they're not exactly the slenderest guys in the world. They come at you. It almost looks like the setting sun. I'm just saying. If that's a if that's a vision you want. Setting sun in the suburban. No, the, 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 no, in the orange. Uh, a couple of our guys coming at us in the orange jersey looks like the setting sun walking down the block. <laughs> just saying. Well, Tom, what you were just saying about you know the stock market, and you you and Dan I think highlighted what I feel about it. It's you know the Dow Jones is an index, which means you know, it's a cherry picked group of stocks that you know. Of you know companies of a certain size, whatever. Um, but as you said, it you know it's either the magnificent seven or the magnificent eight that are driving this. So what what you're really getting in you know recent days in the market's performance, according to the Dow anyway, it's not an index of prosperity, but it's an index of, of consolidation. But how can we and have? I just dug this up here. Uh, October 2022. Like. Uh, to October uh, 2023, so that would be a year. I've got us with uh, 
this is the household survey, two, 2.6 million more jobs. Because basically we went up every month, right? I mean, the establishment's probably higher than that because they count people with two jobs. But let's say, just to be just to be happy here, there's three million more jobs than last year. And evidently, everybody seems to think that the hourly wage has gone up for most people when you look at some of the strikes and some of the other stuff. I mean, I think that has to have gone up. Okay. Uh, now, whether people are working the full 40 hours or not, that's maybe, maybe a spot. Explain to me, Lucy, how exactly, if that's the case, federal tax uh, receipts from individuals can be down on the year. Either it, one it shows how ridiculous those numbers are, Tom. It, well, I but, think but, the only way, only way you can square that, you know, circle is to say, well, revenue is revenue, and it's that's a function of what kind of your payroll deductions there are, you know, and if if you've got reduced revenue, you have to have reduced work hours, wages. That it has to be there, and any attempt to show that it, it's somewhere else is is kind of you know putting us into a deeper hole. It, it, those numbers have been adjusted so many times in the last year downward. Well, it's, it's either it's either I'm thinking of if you if either one of you guys, uh, Greg, pipe in. A, if either one of you guys, it has to be either one of two things. It has to be because the market, so many big stocks were down at the end of last year. It has to be that the capital gains piece was was smaller, or maybe some people even had uh, could go back and, and get taxes money back from from uh, income they paid before or something along the way. You know, people going back. Uh, what do they call that when, when you go back and. Uh, Revenue recapture. Re- recapture. It has to either be that, or the fact that everybody, even though more people are working, and they're making higher per hour wage, they're not working as many. What else could it be other than those two things? I'm guessing well, it has it's, to be. It's got to be a seasonal thing where it's either and the ramp up to April to tax date or something, and there's been a drop off since then. But there was a big infusion at some point, and we've seen a kind of descending curve since then. That that may explain. You know, a decline, um, but I, I think it's it's just as likely, if not more likely, that, that the job numbers are totally worthless now. There's no point in, in using them for anything other than for comedic effect. I just I don't see any kind of reason to believe them anymore. Well, if you if you if you they can't, they can't be telling a story of any you know depth or consistency from month to month. It's whatever they think they can put over on people until they get around to correcting them six weeks later, when you never hear again how how wrong they were. So uh, this has just become a kind of shell game and, and a moving target that I, I kind of like disdain to, to get too involved in them because they're not believable. They really can't. Greg, in, in the in the restaurant, Greg knows an awful lot of people in the restaurant industry. He's our expert. In the restaurant industry, how many people do you think put in a 40-hour week? I mean, you can't just say... Put in a 40-hour week? Yeah. 100%. Really? Because, I mean, in the fast food area where Andrew now works. He says, oh, are you talking about the workers or the managers? No, not the managers. Put in 80. I mean, those, those guys, at least. I mean, it's, that's why there's, nobody wants that business. The guys run the place work like lower-crack madmen, don't they? Yeah. Uh, in terms of the the hourly people uh, with us, I'd say most of them. Okay. Maybe three-quarters. All right. Um, so but now where Andrew's working, he's working on those chicken joints chicken joints. I'm talking about sell side. Uh, 
Um, he says he's nobody works except for the two managers. They work 40 and probably work more than that. Um, everybody's 32, 29, 20, you know, whatever. They're, it's all kind of a, a part-time sort of thing. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes if you can, depending on your, you know, your your guys. So if if you've got two jobs, uh, sometimes want some of the guys want to work, you know, certain Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or yeah, or Thursday. I'm not saying they're being screwed. I'm just saying, uh, you know, that I'm trying to find out why the numbers don't match. I guess is what I'm trying to do here. And yeah, I'm, people uh, have multiple jobs. That's okay. That's yeah, yeah, definitely. And say, say you have a job doesn't imply that you're making you know, anything close to what we would call a living wage. And if you're working 10 hours a week, and that's what you know, your employer is holding you to, it's still a job in your column, but it, it isn't a job that's meaningful in the way people want to interpret the, these job numbers. And the it, guys, it doesn't mean yeah. it's, you know, translating to, to, a, to a kind of lifestyle for these people. I'd say if you're doing the two-job thing, the minimum you're working is 50 hours, minimum. Some some of the guys do like sixty or sixty, wow. sixty five, yeah, and not easy either. But if you can split it up by day, that makes it better. So call it uh, four hours in the morning one day, and then you go to your other job. Or if you do, you know, f- say ten hours, three times a week, or something like that, and then you can go to your other job on on uh, call it Saturday or whatever and you get in call it 55 or 60 hours at maybe 18 or 20 bucks an hour Greg, do you see a high turnover or burnout with people who are doing that or uh not when you have to yeah yeah it's whether they have to or not I, i'm looking here at the uh, uh treasury receipts while well, you guys are, are making sense uh april and may which is helps now looked at those months and said those were the kind of the outliers, which would be the month where you would have to pay your capital gains. Uh, April and May of 2022, the receipts were uh, 1.1, almost 1.15 trillion. This last year, they were way less than that. Uh, May was 307. This year, last year was 388. This year, April was 636, and last year it was uh, 863. Um, so there's your two months right there. So a lot of it has to be in people not not paying for their capital gains like you had to in 2022 yeah. this year. So, uh, but still we're down. Uh, last year the receipts were 4.896 trillion. These are this is fiscal year ending in October, or ending September 30th. This year was 4.439. So we're down uh, 460 billion dollars in revenue. And some of it's in that month, but you would have thought that the payroll stuff would have made up for that, and it hasn't. Payroll stuff is, it, is probably even, which it shouldn't be do, even. Do you, do you think it's because people are being pushed down because they're working fewer hours into lower tax brackets, and that's accounting for some of the loss of revenue? Well, I mean, I'm looking look at August of last year. Uh, was the receipts were 303 billion, and this year it's 283. There, there's no, that's not a month where you're paying any of your your stock or anything like that. That's not a capital gains month, so that's just a regular old month. I mean, July last year was 269, and this year is 276, so about even. September last year was 487, this year is 467. So every month looks like it's down. I mean, uh, you know, the big ones are the April and May, like maybe we suspected, because last last year, the end of the year, a lot of the big stocks were down, and maybe some people took some losses. But you you would think 
with that many more people working and with the wages higher that every month it'd be be pumping along a lot higher and it's just not you think yeah and i you but know you just, none, of, none of these numbers really pinpoint any kind of job creation um it isn't like i think you can say that they're due to expansion or businesses opening it, it, that, i don't think the numbers tell there's, there's 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 expansion in there's expansion in the medical area because we know how much that costs uh there's expansion um there was some expansion in education. I don't think that's happening this year. And there's expansion in government. Government. Okay. So, I mean, I don't, you know, it's it's not, you know, we have, I mean, how are we going to get this bus back on track? Well, the only way you're going to get it back on track is recognize what you have. You know, this morning, uh, two of the more sober people in Congress, I think, or uh, who's the guy, uh, ran for president, Romney and uh, Manchin, are saying they need a they need a fiscal committee to, to try and straighten this out. I mean, we're, we're talking, we're on, we're on our road to two trillion dollars, and at two trillion dollars, at an average interest rate of five percent, we're talking about a trillion dollars a year in interest. How, how in God's name are we going to pay that? I mean, this is not just hey, the market runs up, I made some money, everything's good. It's it's not. Someday, somewhere, these two ships are going to collide. I think, and I don't want them to collide. I don't want my people losing money. I don't want to lose money. So it better, my stock's going Nobody's down. Nobody's going to lose. You just inflate it away. Um, it's more. You're gaining. You money. can't just. You can't. <laughs> if if you could just print the dough and, and, and everybody be happy, that's fine. Exactly. You know? You're making money. You're making money. Yeah. So John, is that it? We're just we're making money. You just don't know. Yeah, make, <laughs> give everybody a kit. Yeah, yeah, just make their own money. The only the only thing about inflation though is that it, Greg. If if we could do, I'm not saying you want to do this. You were tongue in cheek. If we could walk in tomorrow and say, everybody take your your Washington, which is the dollar bill, and go over and get a, what's the, uh, a Hamilton, which is what, no, or Jefferson is the two. Jefferson, yeah, double up. Just walk into the Federal Reserve and, and, and have, have them all, give them all your ones, and they give you all twos. If we did that with everybody, I think most people, even if they don't really understand monetary theory very much, would say, okay, let's see, I spent... I owe Greg ten bucks for the Bears bet last night. I guess I now owe him twenty. Be like a stock split, right? Everything just right. just doubles. What, what the problem is if it becomes uneven? Well, we're gonna degrade the currency by forty percent, but we're only gonna give money to these people to make up for it. When, when do you think, Jen? And I hate to say this, when do you think the average person that has money in the bank or money in their pocket or people overseas? I think they've figured it out. That we just screwed them for forty percent of their of their wealth. People hate to go there, Tom. You know yeah. because, but they 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 suspect it, and they can't really bring themselves around to saying, "I've been screwed by." And you want to fill in the blank because it, it, there's no point to just have generalized. Yeah, they, they smell they smell the rat, but don't know where the rat is. Right, they don't know how to how to address this, and they feel well, everybody's in the same boat. Pretty much in, in my you know, strata of society, so I, there's nothing I really it, it enables me to complain any more than the next person, and I got to hunker down and, and you know deal with it. But I, I I do think there has to be a tipping point at some level, and it will be you know something very hard to manage and, and to channel into anything positive. When people, you know, if it goes you know less than or above forty percent, sixty percent has been lost. Let's say. Um, you're gonna. We're lucky it hasn't tr- turned up in 
people's behavior just yet. Well, you said something. Both Although, of you, both the both the both is both tongue and cheek. We're talking about the biggest benefactor of this is the government. In the last right. in the last five years, we've had inflation is what thirty six forty percent by any anybody's count, and Social Security is up twenty. So who just made twenty? Right. Not 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 the old people. No, no. Although you you could you could you could make a case. You could argue. I don't know if I'd like the argument, but you could argue that um, even though uh, you know a lot of people on Social Security maybe own their home, maybe they're they're not. I don't know about that because they're sure they're sure sure privy to any kind of increases in, in prescription drugs or anything. Yeah, you, I don't think you could say that the forty percent doesn't affect people over sixty-five. Matter of fact, it might affect people over sixty-five more. It probably affects them more, I would think. I mean, there was any kind of drugs involved. So they've, I mean, got, they've got expenses they can't like. It's not real discretionary spending at some level. They, they view their medications and whatever plan they're locked into as a given, and it's it, it's there's no way to just say, well, I'm just, I'm going to skip my drugs this month or, or or for six months. You can't do that. So. But if you just if if Grandpa Flanagan would have just put his money in Microsoft or in uh, Tesla, he'd be okay. Just saying. This is again why, why these the, you know these down numbers, Tom. It just sh- show the stranglehold that these companies are going to have, and, and how it's going to be. As you said before, who's going to confront Microsoft as a competitor? No, I, now I, they, I don't know how you can. Well, if, if, you, if you want, if you want the privilege of using their products, you have to you know, pay them a hundred bucks a year for the license after you've already bought. You used to be you bought the pro. Well, if you if you, if you have the stones. You become enough of a competitor to where they buy you out, and then you're then you're good. You don't have to work again. That's 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 the, that's the deal. Well, that's 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 the advantage of being a Microsoft, especially when you got you know protections of the wazoo and you know protections in the media and everything yeah. else. There's, there's no way to attack them at, at, at the grassroots level no. for the way they've kind of, they've kind of made the country. I would say, Tom, of, of any of the things that you know, the country has become more or less efficient, and it's it's due to Microsoft. Dealing with Microsoft products, I would agree. Um, we got a dash got down. We, we have we have people that are out next week. Might might hear the hit on you somewhere. Am I ever going to see you one of these days? Maybe. Oh sure, sure, Tom. Sure, God, <laughs> sure. Maybe next year. <laughs> S&P futures up ten. Nasdaq futures up eleven. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.